Our scripture reading this morning is from John's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not a shepherd and does not own sheep, sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and runs away. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. Because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep, he runs away. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not come from this sheepfold. I must bring them too, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back again. No one else takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back again. This commandment I received from my Father. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. David read from the Gospel of John. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as God knows me and I know God. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. The author of the Gospel of John loves a metaphor. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Metaphors can be very helpful. They can expand theological understandings. And we would do well not to separate biblical metaphors from their narrative contexts. The image of Jesus as a good shepherd emerges out of a conflict with the religious authorities in John chapter 9. The conflict and related discourse are bracketed by attempts to stone Jesus. See John chapter 8, verse 59 and 10, verse 31. Chapter 10 begins in the middle of a quotation. Jesus starts speaking in chapter 9, verse 41, and is still speaking as chapter 10 opens. And this shepherd discourse is part of that very same quotation. And the quotation is part of an argument about healing. Well, it's really an argument about sight and blindness. My Bible has subheadings. Maybe yours does too. At the beginning of chapter 9, it has, A man born blind receives sight. And then the section that contains the quote that continues into chapter 10 and contains the Good Shepherd metaphor my Bible entitles that section, Spiritual Blindness. Jesus restored the sight of a man born blind. 
In the story, after the healing, the authorities cast the man out. Verse 35, which opens the section entitled Spiritual Blindness in my Bible, reads, Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. The man born blind is healed by Jesus and can see. The man with new sight asks Jesus about the Son of Man and is told, You have seen him. There's what is seen and what is not seen. There's literal blindness and seeing, and metaphorical blindness and seeing. The authorities are able to see, but are spiritually blind. The man born blind sees beyond just mere vision with eyes. This is the context in which the author of John calls Jesus the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd knows the sheep, sees the sheep. The religious authorities are like the hired hands by contrast, and they snatch and scatter and do not see and do not care. Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me just as God knows me and I know God, and I will lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. In context, Jesus is willing to lay down his life for the inclusion of the man born blind. Remember, the narrative framework of this story begins and ends with attempts to kill Jesus. The shepherd, the good shepherd, sees not just the gathered sheep, but also those who are missing. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. The good shepherd searches, seeks, sees, finds the cast out, cast aside, removed, and brings them back. Jesus' disciples are mostly fishermen. There's a tax collector, a few drifters, but there's nothing in the Bible to suggest that any of them were shepherds. The First Testament, by contrast, is full of shepherds. Abraham and Lot, Jacob, once his name is changed to Israel. Moses seems to go through a midlife crisis as a shepherd, post-prince and pre-prophet. David is a shepherd. Noah, in many ways, is the ultimate shepherd. But the disciples, they know fish, not sheep. I wonder if their shepherd knowledge is considerably more like my own, mostly theoretical. Either way, I don't think the author of the Gospel of John is as much concerned with the behavior of actual shepherds as he is with telling us something about Jesus, something about love. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. We are never beyond the reach of love. We might be cast out, cast aside by others, but love will see us and come and find us. Find us and bring us to community. I keep thinking of the story of Hagar in the First Testament. 
Hagar is the servant of Sarah, who gives birth to Abraham's firstborn son, Ishmael. Hagar is sent away once Isaac is born to Sarah. Abraham gives Hagar and their son, Ishmael, only bread and water, and then abandons them to the desert. Mother and child wander desolate and deserted. Weary and bone-tired, they stop. The water has run out. They're burned by the sun, parched, hopeless. God sees. God sends an angel and then a well of water appears. Up until this point in Genesis, God has named people, but now Hagar names God. She's the Bible's first theologian. She says, you are the God who sees me. She's been abused, written off, cast out, and now she thinks she's going to die in the wilderness. And then she discovers that the God who knows her name and sees her face has come to her. You are Elroy, she says. You are the God who sees me. From Hagar all the way to the present, we find our religious stories. We find in our religious stories a God who sees, a God who is attentive to the cast off, the small, the inconsequential, a God willing to risk big in order to love the small. There are stories of God's love for sparrows sold two for a penny that are never out of God's sight. There are stories of tiny mustard seeds that grow into a bush where the birds may nest. There are stories of the yeast God the baking woman kneads into a vast amount of bread dough. There are stories of shepherds willing to risk in order to find and reclaim a missing sheep. There are stories of meals shared with sinners, outcasts, the poor, the differently abled, societies unknown and forgotten. God's eye is on the sparrow and the sheep and the outcast. God sees us, searches for us, saves us by restoring us to community. God is love and love will not leave us or forsake us. This love, however, cannot prevent bad things from happening. God loves, God sees, God does the most God can do, always luring, always compelling creation toward healing and wholeness. (coughs) God is love. When my mother died, I couldn't reconcile that God with inaction. If God loved me, why did my mother die? If God loved me, why were things so hard? If God loved me, and not just me, but everyone, why was there so much suffering, so much injustice? I entered my teenage years with these questions, shouting and competing for playtime in my personal story with additional questions like, if God did love me but couldn't actually do anything to help, Why bother with God? And if God could do something to stop suffering and chose not to, then why believe in that kind of God? And so I read. I read the Bible. I read Madeline Lingle. 
I read books about theology. I read poetry. I realized quickly that my questions were not particularly original. It was comforting, actually, to know I wasn't alone. I'm still reading, reading and listening and talking and writing about God. And I still have many, many questions. I choose to believe that God loves each and every one of us. Like the man born blind, healed, and then cast out, I too have been found by divine love, found and restored. Like Hagar, I have found God with me in the desert of desperation and despair. I have found a God who sees me, a God who searches until I am known, a God who is love. Theology is as much an exercise in imagination as it is anything else. Through image, through metaphor, through model, we identify the presence of God in our midst and speak of the relationship between humanity and the divine. These ways of understanding God are ultimately attempts to speak the unspeakable, imagine the unimaginable. They're attempts to grasp mystery. We are doing this work within a long and rich tradition. It's good work. The work of question, the work of discovery, the work of model and metaphor. I believe God has the power to love, to love each one of us, that God sees us and knows our names, that God, that Jesus, that the divine is a good shepherd and that all the sheep are known personally, the lost sheep, the black sheep, the burned out and beaten up sheep, the weaning lambs and even the old goats, all of us seen and known and loved. Thanks be to God. Amen.